Well, today we're kicking off a series on, a brand new series on the life of David, the shepherd king. David, I'm sure many of you would, might, might agree with me, is one of my favorite characters. And a lot to be said about David. Would it, be surpri- would it surprise you to know that there's been more written about David than any other biblical character except for Jesus Christ himself? You know, uh, Abraham, the father of many nations, the father of Israel, there are 14 chapters written about Abraham. Joseph, you know, the boy with the coat of many colors, there are 14 chapters about him. His dad, Jacob, there are 14 I'm sorry, there's 11 chapters written about Jacob. Elijah, the great prophet. There are 10 chapters written about Elijah. But David has over 60 chapters in the Old Testament alone describing the life, not to mention the fact that there are 59 references in the New Testament all describing the life of David. He was a man that experienced great success in life. He was a shepherd. He was a, he was a writer. He was a poet, a musician. He was a king. He was a great warrior. He won many, many battles for the nation of Israel. And yet, as we read about his life, when we look at his life, we find that some of the greatest battles that David had to face came from within himself. You know, have you ever noticed that the most successful people, the most beautiful people in our culture, you know, and we look at them, we kind of we glorify them a little bit, we kind of say, oh, man, they're all that, and then later on we find out that they had some major struggles, you know, they had some major issues, maybe issues of addiction, maybe struggles of insecurity. They had relationship issues. And we look back and say, man, they're broken people. They're, they're people that struggle just like all of us. And, and you know, as Christians, sometimes Christians, you know, some Christians will believe that they are immune to troubles, that they don't ever have any issues, that they should have never, should never have any struggles. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, whether you're a believer or not a believer, the reality is that we're all going to face issues. If you want to take notes, point number one is that facing giants is normal. It's a normal part of life. We're all going to face giants. The Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 19, David, the poet, the musician, he said this, the righteous person, a good person, may have many troubles. Now, that's encouraging. Came to church to hear that, huh? He said that the righteous, the good man, have many troubles. But the Lord, he delivers him from them all. You can still love Jesus with all of your heart and still face struggles. You can still face difficulties. Even David, he was called a man after God's own heart. But we're going to find out in this series that he faced a lot of giants in his life. I want to look at some of these giants today. Some of the giants that David faced. Number one, if you're taking notes, he faced the 
giant, the giant of rejection. The giant of rejection. He faced it over and over and over in his life. He was rejected from his own dad, his own father. His name was Jesse. Jesse, he got really excited when he learned, when he found out that the prophet Samuel was going to come to his house and that Samuel was going to pick one of his boys to be the next king of Israel. And you can imagine, right? If you're a dad, that would be very exciting news that the prophet could show up and he could pick one of your sons to be the next king. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that when Samuel showed up that there were seven sons, right? They were all lined up, ready to go. There were seven sons. And Jesse had all these seven sons, all the sons he thought he had potential to be the next king. But here's the problem. He was missing the eighth son. He wasn't there. You know who the eighth son was, right? David. In fact, this is the first time we're introduced to David in, in the Old Testament. So he had seven of his sons who Jesse thought he got their king material. In other words, David, his eighth son, according to Jesse, did not have king's material. He didn't have what Jesse thought what, what it would take to be the king. And so David, where was he? Well, he was the youngest, right? And he's out taking care of sheep. All right? Bible, you know, doesn't tell us how old he was, but, you know, a lot of scholars believe that David was probably um, maybe middle school, early high school age, of, you know, for us. You know, 14 years old, maybe 15, and, um, and so maybe 13. But he's in that age frame. He's taking care of sheep. He's out there. And, and the father didn't even bother to call him in from the field. I mean, talk about rejection. Talk about being rejected by your own dad. His dad didn't even have him in the lineup to be the next king. It, it reminds me of when I was in elementary school at the playground. Remember recess? Uh, you all know how this goes. You know, we're going to play a game of kickball. We're going to play a game of soccer. We're going to do some kind of game. And so... Uh, well, all, like, who wants to play? So we all kind of gather, and, and uh, we, we pick two captains, all right? We got two captains. We, usually it's the two best players we know, all right? And so you're captain for team A, you're captain for team B. And so they get standing there, we all line up, you know, wanting to be picked. You know, and captain of team A, you know, he picked Johnny, and uh, uh, captain of team B, he picked little Becky, you know. And without fail, poor little Scott, We'll always be down to the last two. You know, and, and it's awful. You're like, oh, man, you know, please pick me. I don't want to be the last. I mean, that's like the worst, you know. And, and, and when it comes down to the last two, it's always the hardest decision. You know, everybody that's been picked is telling the captain, hey, you know, don't pick Scott. Pick her. Oh, man, talk about, you know, and they pick her, <laughs> you know. And then, and then, and then, you know, captain of Team B is like, all right, you know. <sighs> you know, it's, it's, all right, I guess, I'm, I guess I'm not picked. I guess I'm just left over, right. And you just kind of go over there. You know, rejection, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've experienced some form of rejection. And here, here's David, kind of left out. 
And so Samuel, he doesn't know. He doesn't know that David isn't there. He doesn't know how many sons that, Sam, you know, that Jesse has. And so he starts with the oldest. He check him out. And, and, and Samuel thought, man, this kid, he got what it takes. We're looking at Samuel chapter 16, verse number 6. And Samuel saw Eliab, that's the oldest. And he thought, this is what Samuel thought. He said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely this is him. But the Bible said in verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. By the way, that's what they did for the first king. The first king was named Saul. And remember, he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And everybody else picked him and said, that's the king right there. Tallest, tallest man is the king. They pick him because of his height. So, so God is telling Samuel, no, 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 I'm not playing that game no more. I'm not interested in the outward. I'm interested in the heart. See what he says? He said, don't consider his appearance or his height, height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel started going down the line. Son number two, son number three, four, five, six, seven. They get down to seven, and God had declined them all. We see this in verse number 10. Just as seven of his son passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And I'm sure at this point, Samuel's a little confused. And said, what's going on, God? You send me here to pick a king, and you're telling me none of this work. And so in verse 11, Samuel asked Jesse, he said, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And you can almost feel the rejection, the tension in Jesse's response. He said, yeah, they're still the youngest. But he's out there taking care of the sheep. He's not king's material. You don't want this kid. He's the rot of the litter. You know, he's... He, he doesn't have it. And Samuel said, send for him, for we will not sit down until he arrives. And sure enough, David shows up, and God says, that's the next king. And Samuel anointed him. Now, I've got to be honest with you, the brothers, they were probably very jealous of this. We're going to kind of see this. They they never really accepted the fact that God had chosen David to be the next king. And so not only do we see rejection from the father, but we see rejection from the brothers. They didn't accept this idea. And so, you know, we go to the next chapter. The next chapter in chapter 17. The brothers are out in war. They're out in battle. All right? And so David, he's still at home. They're all taking care of the sheep even though he was the Lord's anointed to be the next king. I mean, even his dad still haven't got to wrap his head around the idea that this is the next king. So he's, still, he's taking care of sheep, and, and, and then Jesse's like, hey, David, I want you to go to the battle and take some food 
you know, take some granola bar and a peanut butter sandwich and take it to the brothers, you know, at the battle, on the front line of battle. So David said, okay, I'll go. And so he, show, he goes, he shows up to the battle. And this is what David sees at the battle. He sees one army on one side, the Philistine army, the enemies, the enemy of, of Israel. And then he sees on the other side, the Israelites' army. And they're just at a standstill, nothing's happening. And then he sees a third person right in the middle of the battle, right in the middle of the field. And it's a giant behemoth of a man named Goliath, nine feet tall, the monster. And he hears him taunting and mocking the God of Israel. He's saying something. He would say, listen, who can fight me? He said, whoever beats me, the Philistine, my, my, my people will surrender to you. But if I beat your champion, then you have to surrender to us and nobody. Nobody can stand up to Goliath. And this is where David's like, what's going on? Is there not a cause? Send me. I'll fight him. And, and, and he's talking among other men. So I'll take him on. I got this. And his brothers hears about it. We pick up the story in verse 28. Eliab. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. And he asked him, why you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? In other words, you're not being a good, shep a good shepherd taking care of a couple of lambs, are you, kid? And then he said, I know how conceited you are. And I know how wicked your heart is. You came, only, you came down here to only watch the battle. David's oldest, older brother didn't think he had what it takes. They only saw him as an errand boy to bring food to them. But David saw what was going on and thought of himself as a man on a mission. But he faced rejections after rejection from his own brothers. He also, David also faced rejection from King Saul. I mean, King Saul, he hear about this person that volunteering to fight, to fight Goliath. He hears about it. Someone said, hey, there's a guy talking that he wants to fight Goliath. And, and Saul, you know, they've been sitting there in battle for 40 days. 40 days, every day, Goliath comes out, nobody's stepping up. So Saul's a little desperate here. He's like, man, someone got to step up and do this thing. And finally, he hears about, this, about a person that a fight. And he said, bring him in. Bring him to my tent. And I'm sure King Saul's thinking, Man, he's probably imagining that this person could be the rock, you know, someone like the rock or John Center, you know, or someone that's just, you know, just super built. And uh, so he's waiting, he's waiting. Finally, they open the tent and say, here's David. And he comes in, this little puny little kid, you know, <laughs> walking around. And, and, and he says, hey, I, I'm, I'm here. And David, I'm sure King Saul's like, is this a joke? Are, are, are you for real? You know, come on, send me the real David in. And they're like, this is him. Yeah, the notice I pointed down. This is him. <laughs> okay? This is David. And, and I'm sure King David's like, are you, no, you don't have the size or the experience, kid. You're going to die. I can't send you out there. 
The Bible says that King, that, that, that David convinced Saul to listen, I can go out there and I think Saul was like, you know what, have at it, kid. Good luck, you know. Uh, make sure you sign your last will and testament before you go out, you know. But he was rejected. He was rejected by King Saul. He was also rejected by Goliath. He experienced rejection from Goliath. Goliath saw him coming out to battle. And, 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 he, and he took one look at that little shepherd boy, and he was insulted. The Bible says in verse 43, he said to David, am I a dog? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? <laughs> and the Philistine cursed David by his God. I mean, Goliath was angry, he was humiliated, he was frustrated because it's been 40 days every day he comes out and no one comes in to fight him and finally they send the smartest kid on the block and he, and, and, and he was frustrated you see David we see over and over and over again you know throughout his life he faced a giant of rejection and yet every time David will rise above it. He will rise above it. I love this quote. Someone said here, you can easily determine the character of a person by what it takes to discourage him. I mean, David could have been discouraged and quit so many times, but he ignored the negative voices in his head, the negative giants of rejection, and rise, and kept rising above it. And so the first giant in this story that David had to deal with was rejection. Here's the second one real quick. The giant of comfort. We see the, the, giant, of, the giant of comfort in this story. And the Bible said that every day, right, the Israelite soldiers, they would get up, get out of their tent, make their breakfast. They would go out to the front line, they would cry out their battle cries. They would hear Goliath. They would turn around and walk back into the tent. They'd see Goliath taunting them and mocking them and say, you know what? Not today. You know, that guy looked pretty big. That guy looked pretty scary. It's pretty dangerous out there. You know what? More comfortable to go back to our tent and play some cards with my other fellow soldiers and to take it easy. The giant of comfort. In our church, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. You know, we're blessed here. You know, we're blessed with a beautiful building, property. We're blessed with staff. We're blessed with a lot of resources here that God has provided. But if we're not careful, we can take it for granted. We can sit back and relax. You see, that's what I love about last weekend. Last weekend, we got people going. We got you to get, invite people. We got you to volunteer. We had that fourth service. You know, we went the extra mile. That's what I love about that because we're not a church that wants to just stay comfortable. But if we're not careful, we have a tendency. There's a tendency in all of us, in our personal lives, in our, in our work life, in our, in our relational lives, to drift to what's comfortable. And meanwhile, there is a devil that's alive and well in this world 
that were talking, that want to destroy lives. And it's very easy for us to come to church, to sing our battle cry, to get a good message, and to walk out. And we go back to our businesses, we go back to our homes, we go back to our school, but we don't want to get dangerous. We want to play it safe. We want to be comfortable. It's easy to fall in that trap and to try to live safe Christian lives. You see, my friend, that's why I believe that the church today in America is losing its influence. We just want to play it safe, comfortable. The giant of comfort. We see that in the story. Another giant that many of us face that we're going to see as we talk more in the weeks ahead about the life of David. But we're going to see the, the giant of addiction. Addiction. We live in an addicted society. But many of us, we don't think of ourselves as addicted. That's why, you know, part of the, you know, celebrate recovery, the 12 steps, you know, that one of the first steps is, you know, the step of stop living in denial. Gotta stop living in denial. Because oftentimes, when, we, when it comes to addiction, we think of the big three. We think of drugs, we think of alcohol, and we think of pornography. Or we might think addiction is someone who's checking to a rehab center. You know, but we never look at ourselves as being addicted. And the reality is that if, if we look into it, we are addicted to all kinds of things. Let me, we gotta have a definition for addiction. You see this in your handout note. An addiction is anything that you can't live without. That's an addiction. It's anything that you can't live without. It could be a habit that you can't break or a pattern that you can't, a pattern that you can't change or a person that you can't separate from. And if left unchecked, their addiction would dominate and destroy every area of our lives. Think about it. Think about it. We're addicted to entertainment. You know, you have the possibility, you have the opportunity to have over 900 channels, and yet some of you are still bored. <laughs> you're still bored. Some of us were addicted to outward appearance. You know, we spend thousands of dollars and thousands of hours working out every day to improve our appearance. Not to say that we shouldn't work out and be good doers, but some of us, we go overboard. We go overboard in this. Many of us were addicted to our smartphones. You can't live without it. You know, if you, if you leave it at home and you get to work and you realize, oh no, I gotta have my phone. I need it. How am I gonna check my Facebook? How am I gonna check this or that? And so, you know, by the way, it wasn't that long ago that none of us had it. We didn't need it. If they call us, they have to leave a message on our home phone. And our home phone had a cord. You could only stand 10 feet away from it. Remember the good old days? You know, you could do jump ropes with the phone. But we're addicted to smartphones. You see, if you're not careful, you can get, <laughs> you can, you can get run over walking down the hall or down the street because someone is, 
walking with their smartphone, not paying attention where they're going. Or if you're not careful as a family, you can all be in the same room together, but no one's talking. Why? Because we're all on our, dad, you know, on our social media or our, our devices, whether it's an iPod or an iPad or a tablet of some sort. We'll all tune in and we'll zone out. We're addicted. Some of us were addicted to money. They just can't, have an, they just can't seem to have enough of it. Others are addicted to stuff. We're addicted to stuff. No matter what we have, we still want more stuff, more possession. You see, it's one thing. It's one thing to possess possessions. It's another thing when your possessions possess you. Addiction. Some of us were addicted to work. We're overworked. We'll do anything it takes to get that promotion, to get that raise. We'll do anything it takes. We'll sacrifice other things that matters. And we're addicted to work. Here's what I'm trying to say. All of us here today, we face different giants in our lives. Some are large, some are small, some are annoying, and some are destroying. But we face them. So trouble, setback, disappointment, giants. They're normal. We'll face them in our lives. They're a part of our lives. But here's the good news. Point number two, defeating giants is possible. Defeating giants is possible. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, not just more, but immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that it's at work within us. So how are we able to defeat the giants? I want to look back at some of the ones that we just talked about. The giants of rejection. You know how you beat it? You know how you defeat the giant of rejection? You defeat it. You defeat rejection with acceptance. With acceptance. Acceptance says that you are worth Jesus to God. He cared about you so much. He accepted you that he sent Jesus who gave his life because God so loved the world that if we would accept him by faith, that we would not die, that we would live forever. See, my friend, you're unique. You are special to God. You were created in God's image. He has a plan. He has a purpose for, for your life. He has a plan for it. And nobody else on planet Earth is like you. You're who you are. And there's no one else like you. You have been accepted by God. And why is that important? Because when you feel accepted by God, you will begin to live for the audience of one. It doesn't matter about how other people think about you. You are accepted by him and you start living for him. And if you, my friend, are facing rejection, you need to defeat it by understanding that you are accepted by God, that God loves you. He made you. You were made by God and you were made 
for God. We were made for him. The second thing is the word comfort. The giant of comfort. How do we defeat it? It's possible. You defeat it with urgency. With urgency. For, for 40 days, the Israelite army did nothing. They got comfortable. They lost the urgency to fight. John David shows up. He saw what needed to get done. And he did, he did in four minutes what they could not do in 40 days. He said, he said man, if there's not a cause, man, we got to, man, there, there's a mission here. We've got to defeat the giant. We've got to take him out. He, he is cursing us. He is cursing our God. And he just did it. Urgency gets us to focus on our purpose. Urgency. Have you ever noticed you're going on vacation? You know you're going on vacation. And that last day of work before vacation, there's a sense of urgency, right? There's a sense of, okay, I got to get it all done because I want to be out of here and I want to go on vacation without having to worry about everything. That's a sense of purpose. That's what urgency does. See, my friend, there's 90% of our community they're not in church today. And there ought to be a sense of urgency to say, man, we have a life to live for the glory of God, to reach out, to impact people for Jesus. And there ought to be a sense of urgency to do whatever it takes, short of sin, whatever it takes, to share the gospel, to invite people, to let people know that there is a God in heaven who loved them. There ought to be urgency. We ought to live life not safe, but a life of purpose. A life saying, you know what? I need to do what I got to do. And if, it makes, if, if people unfriend me, if people don't like me, Bible promise, hey, the Bible says that the world is going to hate you. Don't be of this world. Be of God. And chase after him. Be urgent. Addiction. Addiction. What about addiction? Real quick. Addiction is defeated with accountability. Accountability. You see, addiction says, my life is out of control. Accountability, on the other hand, is doing whatever I need to do to get my life under control. I need people in my life. And so the first step to accountability is surrounding yourself with people who can help you get healthy, healthy spiritually, healthy mentally, healthy. You need that. That's why life group, that's why we're doing it. That's why we do life groups. You need to belong. Be a part of a group. Be around other believers that can challenge you, that can encourage you, that can pray for you. A place for you to share your struggles and a place for others to pour into you. Accountability, that's why we need to be a part of a group. And so we need accountability group to get healthy. But how do you stay healthy? You invest your life in helping others. People help you and then you get to a place where you can pay it forward, to move it forward. That's why we encourage people to be volunteers. To be, hey, don't just, don't just sit on the sideline. Be a part of the game. Be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. Be involved. So we need accountability. So facing giants is normal. Defeating giants is possible. But number three, trusting God is essential. 
is essential. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. In other words, if you're afraid of everybody around you or what's going to happen to you, it's a trap. It will destroy you. The Bible says that whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Shall be safe. Why is that? You see, fear has a way of paralyzing us. Fear has a way of trapping us. It happened to the whole Israelite army. They are paralyzed because of one man, Goliath. He would come out every day, mock them, demoralize them, put them down, and they were afraid. So how do you overcome your fear? Fear is defeated with faith. And that was David who said this in Psalm 16.8. He said, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. Why? With him at my right hand. Everyone get your right hand out. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Listen, right hand, powerful. Right hand is the best place in the house. It's the best seat. It's the seat of honor. It's also a sign of strength. When God is at your right hand, when you put him in your right hand, that means he got the best seat of your life. And you're letting him be the power. You recognize that he has the strength to fight the giants in our lives. To always, she said, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David said that before I do anything, I'm going to put God first. And so here he is in the middle of the battle. This big old giant, Goliath, he's mocking him. And everybody around him said, kid, you're in trouble. A nine-foot giant versus a little boy? I, I don't know that I can look. I don't know if I can watch this. because It's going to be ugly. It's going to be terrible. But David knew God was before him. And he said, a nine-foot giant versus an almighty God. I cannot lose. In the name of God, in the name of God Almighty, I'm coming after you. You see, when you're facing an impossible situation or addiction or a battle in your life, my friend, don't forget to call upon God. Let him fight your battle. Let him fight for you. And so David, he took a step to fight Goliath. And he said something so powerful in verse 47. He said it to Goliath. He, said, he proclaimed it. He said, all those who are gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves us. In other words, it's not by, it's not by my great ability. It's because of the power of God. For the battle is the Lord. And he will give all of you into his hand. David put his trust in the almighty hand of God. My friend, what do you place your trust in? 
Are you placing trust in your own abilities? Are you placing trust in your own power? Are you placing trust in your money and your and and your solution and your you know how you think you can figure it out? Are you putting trust in the government? Are you putting trust in your job? David placed your trust in God. Whatever you lack, God promises that He will make up the difference. Why? Because the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to God. God can defeat any giants in your life if you call upon him. Here's the big takeaway. Here's the big takeaway. I'm going to invite the band to come up here. The big takeaway is this. God is bigger than any giants you have. God is bigger than any giants that you face. Why? Get the battle. The battle doesn't belong to you. The battle belongs to God. So trusting in God is essential. If you want to defeat the giant in your life, you got to quit, quit fighting it on your own. Cry out to God. Let him stand before you in, in the right hand. He had the best seat in the house. And you go in his strength and not yours. Because the battle belongs to him. Father God, we ask you to help us here in the next few minutes to worship you. God, I don't know what giants we're facing, what giants we're fighting, what giants we're struggling with, but God, I pray that today we call upon your name because you're bigger than any giants we face. We trust you because the battle doesn't belong to me. The battle, it belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.